Good morning and welcome again to South Baton Rouge. We're glad to have you this morning. If um, if I haven't met you yet, my name's Nathan Turkwe. I'm one of the pastors here and would love to get a chance to meet you uh, after the service if possible. Uh, and please stick around for our lunch afterwards. Um, this summer, uh, we started a, a series that's going to take us throughout the summer months on uh, through a selection of psalms, and today we're going to be giving our attention to Psalm 46. Uh, if you want to turn there in your Bible, or you can find that passage printed in the bulletin. But we mentioned this last week, and just mention it briefly again this morning. Uh, one theologian, John Calvin, uh, used to refer to the psalms as, I and mean, we call the psalms, an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Um, and it was his way of expressing that the Psalms really address the full range of the human experience. Um, they analyze and talk about, uh, in some way, every feeling, every emotion, every condition that the human heart and soul can experience. And Psalm 46 addresses a very familiar condition to all of us or emotion um, and experience of life, especially in times of trouble. Um, And that emotion is fear. And uh, we want to learn this morning how we can find a confidence like the psalmist who wrote Psalm 46 has in in the face of our fears and in the face of trouble. Um, So let me read this psalm for us, and then I'll pray for us, and um, and we'll talk about it. So, Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1, this is God's holy and inerrant word. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Gracious Father, we thank you that we're able to gather together this morning uh, in your presence to worship you. And so now we ask that you would pour out your spirit, that you would help us to understand your word, um, that you would help us this morning uh, to get a glimpse of your beauty um, and of the wonder uh, of the fear of the Lord uh, as we see 
Jesus, um, even in this psalm. So help us this morning, we pray by your spirit, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Years ago, uh, a friend of mine told me about this conversation he had when he was a little boy with his grandfather, and it was this, in this conversation, it was a memory that just stood out to him as a vivid memory for him, and he was asking his grandfather about his experience when he was fighting in World War II, and uh, his grandfather was in the Navy, and he told him this story. I haven't remembered, I get the basic gist of it. I haven't remembered all the details of it, but it was a story about how during the war they were traveling at one point in a fleet of ships, and in the middle of the night uh, they were attacked, and all of a sudden the quiet evening was interrupted with sirens going off and loud crashes and explosions and artillery fire and the night's dark sky was just lit up with all of this activity. And understandably, um, my friend, as a little boy, he was on the edge of his seat listening to his grandfather tell this story about his experience. Um, and, And he was imagining the the danger, uh, the chaos, uh, the confusion, the panic, and certainly the fear. And his grandfather told him how at one point in this story, how he looked over the bow of the ship he was on, and he saw the ship immediately in front of them on fire. Um, And then he turned around and looked over the stern of the ship, and, and right when he turned around, he saw that ship hit. Um, it was a terrifying experience. Somehow, by the end of the night, they were able to fend off this attack, even amidst their horrible losses. Uh, but my friend, he remembered asking his grandfather one question after he heard that story. And, and this is really what he never forgot. He never forgot his grandfather's answer uh, because he said, He asked his grandfather, were you scared? And his grandfather told him, I was so scared that night that I've never been afraid of anything since then. It's not a a perfect illustration, but but listen, I, I want you to think about that. That there is a fear That casts out all other fears. A fear so full of awe, so great, so incredible, that it puts all your other fears in this life into perspective. Um, And that's what we need, that kind of fear. If we're ever going to be able to overcome our fears uh, that are so common in our experience in this broken world. So here's what I want us to consider from Psalm 46. Uh, First, I want us to talk about our familiar fear. And then second, I I want us to talk about a new kind of fear. And then last, I want us to talk about how to overcome our familiar fears, right? So a familiar fear, a new kind of fear, and how to overcome our familiar fear. All right, first, um, our familiar fear. Ernest Becker, um, cultural anthropologist, wrote that, quote, taking life seriously 
means something such as this. That whatever man does on this planet has to be done in the lived truth of the terror of creation, of the grotesque, of the rumble of panic underneath everything. Otherwise, it is false. He was saying, to be honest about life, uh, to really take life seriously, we have to acknowledge the fear that lies under, underneath everything we do. And yet sometimes you and I are acutely aware of that fear and it's bold and it's in our face and it's unavoidable because of the circumstances that we're facing. Other times that fear, it's in the background. Um, it's easier for us to ignore it. But it's still there, is what Ernest Becker was saying. A rumble of panic underneath everything. And I say, that's life in a broken world. We live, it seems, in this life constantly under threat. I mean, because in the blink of an eye, a routine doctor's visit for you or I could easily turn into a terrible diagnosis. I mean, just like that, the economy can shift and markets can collapse. And all of a sudden, all our, our, our wealth is gone. And in a moment, the job we had counted on is gone. In a moment's notice, the things you assumed were safe in this life and stable and unmovable and unshakable Right? Indestructible. Your marriage, your children, your job, your health, your reputation. In a moment's notice, those things can crumble. I mean, so many fearfully anxious thoughts that we have in a world so unpredictable and unsafe as this one. Sometimes we're acutely aware of that fear, at other times, it's in the background. But it's always there. For the ancient Hebrew, the sea, the ocean, it epitomized our familiar fear, which is why the angry sea is such a dominant image in this psalm. I mean, you think about it. The sea is this powerful force. In a moment's notice, uh, without hardly any warning at all, unpredictable, it could unleash its powerful force of destruction. It was untamable, beyond our ability to control. And can you think of an image in creation more solid, more unshakable than mountains? And the psalmist was talking about mountains being shaken and moved and swallowed up into the heart of the sea. Right? Even later in the psalm, when the psalmist seems to have moved from considering natural disasters uh, to the fear invoked through the violence of men in verse 8, where he says, nations are raging and kingdoms tottering, the psalmist was still thinking in terms of the sea. Right, because raging is the same Hebrew word he had used for the waters roaring. And tottering is the same Hebrew word the psalmist had used for mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. 
For the ancient Hebrews, the sea, the deep, the oceans, that was the place of untamed, unpredictable, uncontrollable chaos, a, a, a power and confusion and chaos, and even judgment. And yeah, that's the fear. That's the rumble of panic underneath everything. Our insecurity and anxiety trying to control what we can't predict and can't tame. And it's not that strange, I think, if you really think about it, that the sea would be the ancient Hebrews' image for all of this, for all of this familiar fear. Because after all, we can think of some pretty key biblical stories where the scary, threatening sea is featured quite prominently. I mean, you think about Jesus on the sea with his disciples in a boat when suddenly and without warning, a violent storm came up and struck the disciples with fear, filled their hearts with fear. And there were a lot of parallels in that story of Jesus to the story our kids studied this past week at Vacation Bible School, which is the story of Jonah. But you also think about the story of Noah and the flood. Or you think about the story of the Israelites fleeing Egypt and Pharaoh's army being swallowed up in the Red Sea. There are tons of stories in scriptures where you see the power of the sea and its destructive forces. No wonder the sea became a symbol epitomizing our familiar fear. But listen, before we leave this point, I, I want to ask this question. And the, it's a simple question. Why? Why is this feeling of fear so incredibly familiar to us? I mean, it's familiar in the sense that it's common to us all, right? It's familiar to us in the sense that it's always there, whether it's in our face or operating in the background. But it's also familiar in the sense that we've been fearful before we could even remember being afraid, Right, I love getting to participate in infant baptisms, but I'll tell you a little little secret. It always fills me with a little bit of nervousness. Um, at some point, those parents are going to hand their little child over to me uh, in order to hold that child for the baptism. And I know it, and you know it, and you're watching me wondering how I'm going to respond to it because as soon as that child gets into unfamiliar arms and hears that unfamiliar voice and looks up at that unfamiliar face, that child is probably going to cry, right? Oh, no one taught that child to be unafraid, but the rumble of panic is already there in our hearts. Why? A few years ago, I was reading through some sermons on Genesis by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a famous preacher in London in the early uh, 1900s. And in, in one of those sermons, he argued that all of humanity goes through life with a memory trace. He said, quote, We are all conscious of a sense, a memory a recollection of having lost something. We are ever trying to recapture something that we know we once possessed. 
And listen to this. He said, there is in every one of us a recollection, a memory of what we once were. And though we have lost this, and though we have never known it, a memory lingers. In all of us, there is a memory, a recollection of what we once were. And though we never knew it in our experience, he's saying, this memory lingers in all of our hearts. What is that memory? It's a memory that we were made for the Garden of Eden. We were made for paradise. Deep in our bones, we know that we were made for flourishing. For a life of complete and total security where waters would never threaten us. But would only ever give us life. And we come into this world with a sense on our hearts that we lost Eden. That we in this world are broken shadows of what we and it were meant to be. And the world and all our relationships have become hard and scary and unpredictable and threatening places for us to live. Because as soon as sin entered the world, God's world started to come apart at its seams, unraveling. And what was the very first thing man said in Genesis after the world started breaking apart? This was the first line recorded. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. And we are. And that's the first point, our familiar fear. All right, second, let's talk about a new kind of fear. And here's where I want to start gaining some perspective to see a kind of fear that will cast out all our other fears. Um, When I knew I would be preaching on this psalm, I really thought it would be very simple. Um, Yes, there is stuff to fear in life, but God is our refuge. Piece of cake, simple, there you go. And the psalmist says that. And and that's true. I don't want you to misunderstand me. And yet, it's not quite that simple. I mean, because what do you do with verses 8 and 9? Lots of things to be terrified of in this life. So, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. And the idea in verse 9 is that God will bring peace. But he is going to bring it through force. He's going to bring it through violence. And he's going to bring it through judgment. Breaking, shattering, and burning. Yeah, as I mentioned a moment ago, as we talked about in the service, our kids saying they studied Jonah this past week in vacation Bible school. And when Jonah was on the boat in the sea and a violent storm came up, um, and you know it was bad because he was on a boat with experienced sailors. And they were terrified. It says in Jonah 1.10, the men were exceedingly afraid. It had to be a terrible storm. But then as our kids learned, Jonah, he volunteered to be thrown 
overboard and into the angry sea in order to quiet the sea. And that's what happened. And when the storm was over, we read this in Jonah. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. As I mentioned, there are a lot of parallels with the story of Jesus when he was on the boat with his disciples in a storm. Because we're told Jesus' disciples, they were afraid in the storm. And, and you know a number of them were experienced on the seas. I mean, there, some of them were professional fishermen. But when Jesus stood up, and when he rebuked the wind and the waves, and the storm was quieted and the sea was calmed, the Gospels tell us this, Mark 4, verse 41, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. See, they were afraid of the uncontrollable, untamable power that was outside the boat. But all of a sudden they realized power itself was in the boat with them. And they found a fear that put all their other fears into perspective. Now, but here's what, here's what I want you to understand. It's not the same fear, just bigger. It's a new kind of fear altogether. See, when it comes to the refrain of this psalm in verse 7 and 11, and this is the refrain, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Commentators will tell you that the psalmist is doing something unique there. Because in the first line... He referenced God's power, the Lord of hosts. But in the second line, he references God's grace, the God of Jacob, the God who rescues and redeems and loves the undeserving. So yeah, God is full of power like the sea, and you cannot tame him. But it's more than that. He's also full of grace. C.S. Lewis beautifully captured this in the Chronicles of Narnia when Lucy was finding out about Aslan, the lord of the wood, a lion, the great lion, as he was called. And so she asked if Aslan was safe. And Mr. Beaver told her... It's fantasy, if you didn't know. Um, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. It's why the Bible talks so much about the need for us to get the fear of the Lord. Why the Bible talks about learning and growing in the fear of the Lord. And why we are to, in Psalm 40, praise and delight and wonder in this kind of fear. And why God's goodness and grace never diminish this kind of fear, but only increase it. Psalm 130, verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. 
This kind of fear is a wonder, it's a delight, it's an awe at the majesty of God and the greatness of his love. And listen, if you get that, that's what makes God a refuge. That what's, that's what makes him a strength, a very present help in times of trouble. All this talk about water in Psalm 46 and this fearful sea, we haven't yet mentioned verses 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. I can't do a ton here, but listen, that language is intentionally reflective of Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. And what was the garden of Eden? It was God's holy habitation. It was where God dwelt with man. It was the place where living water flowed that never threatened life, but only gave life and caused life to flourish. And the psalmist was saying, if you come to the king, the Lord, who is not just powerful, but also good, you will find life. A refuge, a place to rest with a new kind of fear. And you will find streams that make the heart glad. Years ago, a long time ago, my daughter Kennedy was three years old. And we were living in Starkville, Mississippi, uh, doing campus ministry at, at that other university. And we, we had this friend... Um, who had a house on the lake. And so one afternoon, we went over there to fish off of his pier. And while we were baiting our hooks, uh, we had turned our backs on Kennedy, this three-year-old girl who couldn't swim. And she took a step backwards and fell off the pier. And we heard the splash. And I turned around in enough time to see her terrified little eyes looking up at me as she went down under the water. So what did I do? I didn't think. There was no reason to think about anything. I just jumped in. I reacted, right? And the whole thing took probably five seconds. I was thinner, stronger, faster back then. And um, anyway, and I put her back on the dock. Wet, but safe. Um, Here's the deal, though. This is the whole reason I bring this little story up. Um, One week later, we were going back to our friend's lake house, and we were buckling her into her car seat. And so we decided we're going to tell her where we were going. Uh, It only seemed fair to warn her that we were returning to the scene of the crime, um, the place where she had fallen into the lake. And so we didn't know what kind of fear she might be experiencing. So when we told her, she looked up at Jennifer, my wife, and she said, Mama, we should bring some more clothes <laughs> in case I fall in the lake again. And, and it's, it's a silly story. But it, it was so beautiful to me. Because in that moment, there, there was no trembling in her voice. I mean, she wasn't scarred from that experience. It was just a matter of fact. You know, I might fall in the lake again. If I do, it'd be nice to have dry clothes to wear. Because she figured something out. She figured out I wasn't just able to save her. 
But I was willing to go in after her without thinking about it. Now, listen, there are so many parallels between Jesus and Jonah. You should read these stories side by side. Because in both stories, Jesus and Jonah were on a sea in a boat. In both stories, there was a huge storm. In both stories, the sailors, seaworthy men, feared for their lives. In both stories, Jesus and Jonah were asleep on the boat. In both stories, the sailors who were afraid went to wake up the person who was sleeping on the boat. In both stories, there was a miracle where the sea went calm. In both stories, the sailors found a new kind of fear after the sea was calmed, right? And, the, and after they were rescued. And it begins to seem like, it begins to seem like the only difference is that Jonah got thrown overboard to calm the sea. But maybe the stories only seem different in that regard. Because that is the gospel. Jesus came. Power himself came. And he came and he was voluntarily thrown into the storm of God's justice for you and for me. You know, with all these stories in the Bible... Noah, the Red Sea, Jesus, Jonah, and others. You know what theme runs through them all? You can check me on this. It's, that, it's this. Yeah, the sea is this powerful, destructive, violent force. Even a place of judgment. But that is God's MO. That is his mode of operation. He brings deliverance. He brings peace through violence, and through judgment. And when you truly see with the eyes of faith the Lord of glory voluntarily cast into the storm of God's justice for you on the cross, that's a new kind of fear. A trembling and awe and wonder at his love for you. And if you get that, that's the fear that casts out all other fears. All right, we still got one more point, but it's going to be really, really brief, so no, no need to worry. Um, just a few brief applications here about how to overcome our familiar fear. This world is still a broken, harsh place, and there will still be storms for you and I in, in, in these lives. So how do you practice, how do you practice not living out of familiar fear? And how do you instead live out of this new kind of fear that overcomes fear? All right, ready? Here it is. It's verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. First, you gotta be still. Right, real simple. You know what it looks like when you're living out of this familiar fear? It looks like you trying to be in control of everything and everyone in your life. It looks like you and me being anxious about tomorrow. It looks like you and me trying to figure out a plan about how we can avoid suffering and get around it in this life. Look, be still is a fine translation. It really is. But a really literal translation of that Hebrew there is this, let go. 
Let go of your control. Let go of your attempts to control the storms of life. But second, and very closely related, know that God is God. You aren't God. But there's a God who holds the seas in the hollow of his hand. That's what Isaiah says. God is God, and he is ruling and reigning over all things. Psalm 46.6 says, At the utterance of his voice, the whole earth melts before him. There is not one molecule, there is not one atom, one proton, neutron, electron, whatever else there is, that is outside of God's control. Right? That means even the storms that come into our lives, they have to first pass through your Father's fingers. And though we often don't understand it, He only ever allows those storms to come into our lives for our good and for His glory. So be still, let go, and trust that God is God. And third, know Him. That word know in the Bible is interesting because it means more than just head knowledge, intellectual knowledge. It's a word that speaks to deep, intimate knowledge. Communion, really. Right? It's the same word that speaks of Adam who knew his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Right? That's not head knowledge. Right? That's the knowledge of deep relationship. It's an intimate, loving relationship. And you've got to work to foster a love and delight in God himself in relationship with him through his son, Jesus. And really, that's how you practice living out of this new kind of fear and overcoming your familiar fear. Be still and know God. All right, last thing. Psalm 46, if you didn't know, it's been affectionately called for centuries Luther's Psalm. Um, It was one of Martin Luther's favorite psalms. When Martin Luther had been kicked out of the Roman Catholic Church, and he had to go on the run. And there was a warrant out for his rest, and there was the very likely threat that someone was going to try to kill him. He was running for his life. And he had this friend, Philip Melanchthon. And when things would get particularly dangerous and scary, it said that Luther would... um, would turn to his friend and he would say, Come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. What was he doing? He was practicing living out a new kind of fear to overcome his familiar fears. In the midst of trouble, he was practicing, let's be still and let's know God. And of course, Luther so loved Psalm 46 that he wrote a hymn for the church. A mighty fortress is our God. We sang it last week. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be. Christ Jesus it is he. Lord Sabaoth which means Lord of hosts, his name, from age to age the same. And he 
us win the battle. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've had time together as your people to come before you and to listen to you. And how we thank you for speaking. Um, And even in Psalm 46, for drawing our eyes to see Jesus. um, To see Jesus who rebuked the wind and the waves. um, Who is Lord over all. And a refuge, a very present help in times of trouble. Father, we pray that you would build into us this new kind of fear that we've talked about this morning. And in so doing, that you would help us to overcome our familiar fears. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.